and stand with grieving families all over the world, people who have lost loved ones in the thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people that this pandemic uh, has, has really affected fatally. We pray that the faithfulness of God, we pray that the faithfulness of God will keep every one of them wherever they are, and God will continue to comfort them all in the name of Jesus. So you are very welcome today, and I want to welcome those who are joining us. If this is your first time of coming to our service online, this is LifeGate Church. You are very welcome. We're based in the West Midlands of the United Kingdom. And those of you who are joining us from different parts of the world, we say, God bless you. You are very, very welcome. May God help you and us uh, together today to enjoy in his presence. And uh, for everyone and uh, for everyone who has been a member of the church and has been for some time, I want to say welcome. I have not seen you physically. Many of you, almost all of you, I haven't seen you physically in many weeks. But I know that God has been keeping you. And I thank you, those of you that have texted and checked on me as well and the family. I really appreciate that, getting those phone calls and getting those text messages. God bless you all. And I say to everyone that God will continue to keep us all. Let us stay encouraged. Let us stay strong. God, who has started the great work by preserving our souls to this point, in this new dispensation, as it were, will continue to keep us. So you are very welcome, and God bless you. I want to say that by the grace of God, we are continuing our series today on the uniqueness of Christ. The uniqueness of Christ. The uniqueness of Christ needs to be understood by believers. We are a people who many times we do understand that we belong to a, a religion called Christianity. And in many cases, this understanding has limited us because uh, Christianity is treated like a religion and nothing more. Whilst it is a religion by way of definition, it is a kind of a following, it is a kind of a belief system uh, that, uh, that people subscribe to, so that defines it and makes it a religion. But we must understand that Christianity is not just a religion. Way above that, Christianity is a way of life after the author of life himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if it is all about Christ, we need to know how he's unique, how he is not just another prophet, how he's not just another person that uh, leads, is leading a cult or another person that is leading a sect. Christ is God. Jesus Christ is God himself, him personified. And so we continue to understand this uniqueness in the course of the last two weeks when we started the series, we looked at the supremacy of Christ in two sessions, which was very helpful in helping us to see who he is as being God, being the word of God, being the heir, and those things. And uh, last week also, we saw his supremacy in, the, in terms of him being supreme over Moses, who was regarded as a very, very uh, uh, key prophet in his time, the leader of those that emancipated the children of Israel from uh, uh, the, the, the land of bondage, the land of Egypt. So we saw Moses and we saw Jesus and his supremacy as, that, as him being our savior from the Egypt of today, the world of bondage of today, the world of sin. And so we are grateful that we are continuing that series, but we are starting a subset. And I hope you can still follow me. We should have our banner up very shortly so you can see those topics. 
Uh, that's it right there. And uh, we have the, the, the supremacy of Christ we have finished. And today we are starting in another two-part series, uh, of a subset of this series. We are starting the perfect high priest. The perfect high priest. Jesus being the perfect high priest as one of his uniqueness. And then as we go on after next week, we'll be looking at the new and better covenant he gave to us. Our heritage of faith in him and how we are living, how we are to live faithfully in Christ and how we are to live in, uh, uh, in, in, uh, under his protection as him being Christ, our great shepherd. So these are the topics we are looking at as part of this series, all taken from the book of Hebrews, which we are looking at in the course of this series as a whole. So we are proceeding today, starting the session one, as it were, on the perfect high priest. And I want to say that our emphasis today is to see Christ as our intercessor. Christ as our intercessor. The word priest in, in, in uh, ordinary definition means the one who intercedes and the one who sacrifices. So the intercessor and the one who sacrifices. So we, this was a role that God had established right from the Old Testament. Ever since man sinned, man became detached from God. We all know that story in the book of Genesis. The first man, Adam, and, uh, and his wife, Eve. And ever since then, God had put in the motion, ever since he said the seed of the woman will bruise the head of Satan, he had put in place a, 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 a system of atonement that was going to redeem man who was now estranged from him back to him. And this is what we see throughout in the Old Testament as the shadow of pointing to Jesus, the Savior, that has now come and has now offered the ultimate sacrifice once and for all. But every one of us are benefactors of that today because God is the one who initiated it right from the beginning. So we must be grateful to God. And um, if we look at Genesis chapter 14, we're not going to turn to it. The whole idea of priesthood and the word priest was first mentioned at that point. And what I'd like to say to us is that we know that Abraham was the one who was called out. We can take the banner down now. Thank you. Abraham was the one who was called out. And the Bible makes us to understand that concerning him, that Abraham uh, was called out of uh, the land of Ur, of the Chaldees. And the Lord said to him in Genesis 12 that I will make of you a great nation. And his son, uh, uh, his uh, nephew rather, Lot, went with him. But in Genesis chapter 14, nephew, uh, his nephew Lot had to be rescued. And when his nephew was rescued, he went and pursued. And when God helped him to overcome and he was able to rescue his nephew... On his way back, he had so much spoil and he had so many things with him. He was met by a high priest of God, the Bible calls him, uh, Melchizedek. Melchizedek, known as the king of Salem, was a priest of the most high God. His name meant king of righteousness. And uh, Abraham, the, the, the high priest blessed Abraham and he blessed the most high God for this deliverance, for the victory that they had achieved. And this began the process of God is establishing the priesthood in man, in humanity. Abraham is a type of the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones, 
the ones saved from a land into taken to a promised land. And Abraham met this high priest who today we know is a, was a form of Jesus Christ because as we will see in the book of Hebrews, the Bible says Jesus was also called as a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. But between the time that Melchizedek appeared in Genesis 14 and the time that the word became flesh, as we know in the New Testament when Jesus was born and he, became, and he came in the form of a flesh to take on the dual role of being our high priest, our intercessor, and our savior, our ultimate sacrifice, a system of priesthood was put in place. I need to give us this background so that we can understand the context of how it is written in Hebrews. A system of priesthood was put in place. The Aaronic lineage was chosen by God out of, uh, the Aaronic family was chosen out of the Levite lineage by God as those who will now, after God gave Moses the law, they were to be people who administered the tabernacle and they were to be people who managed the law. Which meant that in the family of Abraham, who was also a subset of these Levites, they were to be the priests. And among them, there was to be one high priest per time. Whoever the high priest is, like Aaron was a high priest, and whoever the high priest was, was the only one that was permitted to go into the Holy of Holies after the building of the tabernacle. We know the tabernacle has an outer court, it has an inner court, and then it has a Holy of Holies. And uh, everything that was done in that time was to replicate how man who has now been cast outside the tabernacle, as it were, the presence of God, was to be approaching the very place where God was uh, resident. He was, he was symbolized by the Ark of the Covenant that was placed right in the Holy of Holies. And so this high priest, once a year, was to take a lamb or a sacrificial animal, slaughter it, and take the blood and only the high priest was allowed to go right into the Holy of Holies to make these sacrifices on behalf of everyone. And so their sins were atoned for only once a year by this ordained person who had to be sanctified. It was such a very difficult task that he, he, he could die doing it if he did it wrongly. And they had to have a bell tied to them that was ringing and the people outside could hear it ringing with a rope tied around them just in case the bell stopped ringing. Because if the bell stopped ringing, it meant that there was, the, 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 there was a, 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 a wrong process that had been undertaken or the priest had fallen short in one way or the other. It was that serious. And when they heard that the bell was no longer ringing, they would pull out that high priest so that that means he had died and another person had to be appointed. So it was serious business. So you can now imagine when the Hebrews was written, and uh, this, letter, this letter to the Hebrews was written, and this, the, the writer was trying to tell the Hebrews Jews, the Jewish Christians, the difference. As far as they are concerned, the, the, the priesthood, the greatest part of the priesthood had been demonstrated by the high priest that came from the family of Aaron. And, you know, Jesus was not a Levite. Jesus if we were to trace his lineage, he was from the tribe of Judah. And so they were confused. How can you say that we have a high priest who did not come from the Aaronic covenant? Who did not come from the Aaronic, uh, the Levite or the Aaronic lineage? 
So it was very difficult for them to comprehend this. And this became the issue, uh, one of the most challenging things that had to be put in place to convince them that that high priest that they knew and they were taught from childhood in their Jewish custom was to give them a type and a shadow of things to come in the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So Christ became our high priest, which meant he became the one who intercedes for us now and the one who paid the ultimate sacrifice. So what the old high priest used to do was to go and stand before the people, before the Lord, before the Ark of the Covenant and present the blood of the animal and say, Lord, for the sins of your people, I come and I plead for your mercy. And he pleads the mercy for the atonement, for their sins. And then he, 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 he performs the sacrifice. And that sacrifice meant that he, he, he represented the people, carried their sins to God. And when God took their sins away, we, we, it is known that their sins have now been atoned for. And then the people are cleansed. And this process continued. But when Jesus came, he wrapped in the process of intercession and the process of sacrifice into one. Sacrifice involves a process of killing something physically to do something spiritual. Killing something physically to do something spiritual. Shedding blood physically to do something spiritual. That is why the ultimate sacrifice had to become flesh. To die physically and shed physical blood. Because only blood can be shed for the remission of sins. So to do away with having to build, uh, having to have animals killed once in a year and coming into the temple and atoning for the sake of the, for, for the sins of the people, Christ became the one-time sacrifice because no blood could satisfy and fulfill that function of eternity. Only the blood that comes from the eternal one who became flesh. So God in his wisdom, in due time, he manifested Jesus Christ as he had promised right from Genesis chapter 3. And he made, Jesus Christ came and then made an open show of the wicked one. So as a people, we need to understand when we say we plead the blood of Jesus. We, we are not killing Jesus Christ again. We are just simply putting to remind, remembrance the things that he has already done for us. We are simply putting to the enemy the evidence that we have been sanctified. We are simply putting across to the wicked one the evidence that we have been called out, we have been sanctified, and we have been protected by the precious blood of Jesus. And our sins have been atoned for. We are only putting to him that there is therefore now no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. So he can no longer afflict us with the, with the punishment of the sins of the past or the guilt of the things, even when we fall short. Because the atonement of Christ is an eternal atonement. The atonement of Christ is not a yearly performance. It's not a one-time event in our own lives, but it's a perpetual event which happened once but lives with us for a lifetime. And so as believers, there are three very important things that we read from our sections of Hebrews this, uh, under this perfect high priest uh, theme that we need to bear in mind. In the course of the service earlier on, Pastor Lola read to us Hebrews chapter 5, 
verse 1 to verse 14, which is our main central scripture reading. But this particular theme of the high priest, this, this part one, is, is covered uh, as we will be looking at the verses of scripture from Hebrews chapter 4. We read first from verse 13. We read it right down to verse 16, and then we go up to chapter 5, all the entire chapter, verse 1 to 14, and then we read also the first 12 verses of Hebrews chapter 6 to, the, to get the context. So I said those so that you can, you can take time again to read them, you can take time again to understand, and you can take time again to uh, follow when you listen to this message, it gives you clarity. The first thing we must do as believers, now those who have named the name of the Lord, in understanding and flowing in the gift of Jesus Christ, our perfect high priest, we must recognize and accept his priesthood. We must recognize and accept his priesthood. So this kind of teaching is to help us recognize it. This kind of teaching is to help us know that our confession of Christ is not just a confession of a ritual that is meaningless. It is the taking on everything that the uniqueness of Christ stands for. His supremacy, his priesthood. So when we say we confess him as Lord and Savior, what we are saying is that we have entered into a covenant with him whereby as our own high priest, he stands interceding for us, having made the ultimate sacrifice for us once and for all. This is our justification as children of God. And we must value this and treasure this because this is what makes us different. First John chapter 5, verse 12. He said, anyone that does not have the Son does not have life. But he who has the Son has life. He who has the Son has life. When you have the Son, you have life. What is this life? John 10, 10, the abundant life. The life that he gave to, came to give. The life that we have is not just as a result of our breathing in and out. That is called existence. Everyone that is alive today with breath in them is existing. But only those who have received the Son of God have the true life, according to scriptures. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Anyone that will come to the Father must come by me. No one can come to the Father except by me. So I'll just pick a few verses from Hebrews chapter 5. We'll go into Hebrews chapter 4 and come back to 5 and 6 again. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1 to two, and then verse four, I'll read. So for every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in the things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Every high priest is taken from among men. That is why Jesus had to be taken from among men. Verse two, he said he can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also subject to weakness. He himself is subject to weakness. And if we go to verse 4, he said, And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. So the Hebrew writer was saying that a type of the selection of Aaron is what Jesus Christ has come to do. And everyone else that, had been, that was selected in the Old Testament, whether they be Eli, whether they be those who were priests in the, in the days of the temple, they are also people who were selected by God from that lineage, but no one takes that honor to himself. 
So Jesus Christ was given. That is why when we read John 3.16, we should read it with a difference now. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He selected his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He selected and deployed his own begotten son. And so we who are naming the name of the Lord must understand that we must recognize him as our most high priest and we must also accept him in that office. This is very important. It's fundamental to who we are. It's very fundamental to what helps us to pray. It's fundamental. You see, in the Old Testament, the people had confidence and assurance in the, in the high priest. Every time the high priest was going, the people waited in the outer courts with a lot of expectation. They waited in the outer courts with the reports to hear that he has gone in, he has performed the, uh, the, the sacrifices, and he has atoned for their sins. And anytime the high priest came out, they celebrated and rejoiced because they know that they are now in right standing with God. Now all that has changed. We don't need to wait for a yearly sacrifice anymore. Every day Christ is showing the blood that he has shed on the cross of Calvary. And the time he said it is finished, he continues to demonstrate the finished works in every aspect of our lives. Hallelujah. This is why we must all be celebrating and rejoicing. King David was a man who lived in the Old Testament but had a shadow of what was so real in the New Testament. In Psalm 100, he said, So let us enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise to say that we have now been a liberated people. We have now been a people who have been atoned for. Let us keep going before him. Let us keep having the assurance and the confidence that he is our most high, is our high priest, the high priest of the most high God. And this is very important for us that as we recognize this on a daily basis and as we press into this understanding, we have a potent prayer life. We have a potent spiritual life. We have a strong and viral spiritual life full of zeal for the God who sent his son to be our most high priest. And so we must always acknowledge, recognize, acknowledge, and accept this priesthood. Number two, and I would like to take some time to just emphasize this point. We have a duty to continue to prove our faith in him. We have a duty to continue to demonstrate our faith. We have a duty as people who are being interceded for, as people who have, been, who have been rescued and who have been saved from the kingdom of darkness, according to Colossians 1.13, and who have now been rescued and delivered into the kingdom of his dear son, we must continue because of that constant intercession on our behalf, that constant intercession on the sacrifice he has made for us. We also must be demonstrating our faith in him consistently. It is a very important thing for us. Now, we would, for this point, go back to Hebrews chapter 4 from verse 14. As I said earlier, that our, our focus will start from there. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14. We have a duty to prove our faith in him. It says, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, just Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Let us hold fast our confession. We confessed him. 
Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, the Bible says, therefore, he said that if, 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 if because we have, in, we, for with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation, and with the heart, man believes unto righteousness. With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. That's Romans 10, 10. And with the heart, man believes unto righteousness. Verse 9 says, for if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. And we believe in our hearts that Christ raised him up from the dead after shedding his blood that we shall be saved. He said, therefore, verse 10 says, therefore, we must understand that with the mouth, we must continue to make confession unto salvation as we believe in our hearts unto righteousness. We must understand that the confession we make as believers is not just the confession of Jesus as Lord. That's the first thing. Every tongue, everybody who is born again must confess this and personalize it. The Bible says, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Christ is Lord, Jesus is Lord. But for us who are saved, we confess it and we believe it in our hearts that Christ raised him from the dead. For those who are not saved, they only, say, they only confess it as a result of his victory over death, victory over satanic powers. They confess the lordship of Jesus. They bow to the lordship of Jesus, whether they are in, in, on earth, whether they are in heaven, or whether they are under the earth. But for us who are being saved, it is born out of our inner conviction that Jesus Christ was raised, God raised him from the dead, and then the confession of our mouth as Jesus as Lord means that we confess him as Lord verbally, believing it, but also we continue to confess his word. In the face of everything that threatens our salvation, in the face of everything that, that tries to stifle our faith, we must continue to confess the Lordship of Jesus. This doesn't mean that we just go about saying Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord. There's nothing wrong with that. But it means that whatever Jesus has said, whatever the word of God has said concerning us remains our confession. It remains what we believe. It remains what we speak. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13, he said, as it is written, they believe, therefore they spoke. We also must believe and therefore we must speak. What do you believe? Do you believe that Christ was raised from the dead? Do you believe that God made him the ultimate sacrifice for your sins? So if you believe that Christ was raised from the dead, an ultimate victory had been given by him, and God had given him a name above every other name, your confession must continue to align. If he said that you are healed, you must continue to confess your health. If he said that you are the head and not the tail, you must continue to confess your headship. If he said that none shall cast their young among you, you must continue to confess that you will not be barren. You must continue to confess everything that Christ stood for and represented. We must understand that the Bible says that therefore let us hold fast our confession. Let us not give up on our confession. It is very easy to give up on our confession if we don't have our faith rooted in that which we believe. You need to ask yourself. You need to listen to yourself. I used to say this many years ago as a younger preacher. I used to say, for you to know your faith level and where you are at, just record yourself. Put a recorder on on a continu continuous play 
on a day that you are talking and you are busy and just listen to yourself after some time, maybe at the end of the day when you are in bed, do a playback and listen to yourself. As you hear yourself, you understand what is in your heart. The Bible says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So you need to make sure that your confession of Jesus Christ as your high priest is not just limited to that one-time confession that you make him your Lord and Savior. But it is a practical evidence, always showing in what you do. Jesus and his disciples, when Jesus was raising his disciples, he was raising them and teaching them these principles. When they spoke negatively, he corrected them. In John chapter 9, they saw a man who was blind from birth. And they were starting to speak negative. They said, was this man born blind because of his sins or the sins of his parents? I see some echo. Blind because of his sins or the sins of his parents? He said, no. He said, he's not blind. Not because of his sins. Not because of the sins of his parents. But because... The works of God needs to be glorified in him. So let us hold fast our confession. Let us hold fast our confession. Isaiah 57 verse 19. He said, I create the fruit of the lips. I create the fruit of the lips. I create the fruit of the lips. He said, peace to those who are far. Peace to those who are near. Because at the end of the day, whatever you declare, he said, declare and you will be justified. This message of confession has been abused, sadly, in the body of Christ. People have turned it into a flippant way of just saying something in the name of confession. Confession not tied to a deep-seated belief in the heart is no confession at all. It's like somebody who says they are born again, and all they said is Jesus is Lord, and I believe Jesus. But in their hearts, the Bible says their hearts are far from him. That is not a genuine conversion. This is why we have a lot of believers in the body of Christ today, sadly, who are meant to be part and parcel of the body, but they are not really in because the inner being is not yet convinced. The inner being is not yet convinced. So even though there is a confession of the mouth, the inner being is not convinced. It's like two people who get married and they just went to the altar and said, I do, I do to one another, but in their hearts, both of them or one of them has no iota of conviction that that marriage should work. It's just a matter of time that such a marriage crumbles. Because what keeps a marriage going is not the words of the I do that was said by the people per se, but the inner conviction that come rain, come shine, this is my partner. Come rain, come shine. This is my friend. Come rain, come shine. This is my father, my brother. Come rain, come shine. This is my sister. This is my daughter. Because there is an inner conviction. So I want every one of us to reflect and be like the, and take on the admonition that was given to the Hebrews. How do we hold fast to our confession without knowing our faithful high priest? Let us continue to believe that the death he died for us is truly the ultimate sacrifice. There is therefore now no more condemnation. Let us continue to confess him. Verse 15. He said, because we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. We do not have a high priest that, that, that was just sat in the heavenlies, even though he's in the heavens today. But we do not have a high priest that was just sat in the heavens, that all he was after was just to demonstrate that he cares for us. 
But he came and suffered everything. The Bible says he was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. He was tempted with the lust of the eyes. He was tempted with the lust of the flesh. He was tempted with the lust, with the pride of life. Three areas that we continue to face diverse kinds of every temptation in this world and every affliction and every uh, uh, falling and everything you can think of lies in these three things. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Jesus was tempted with those three things and he remained without sin because he is the perfect sacrifice. He knew that going to the cross... As, a, as, as one who was sinless gave him the ultimate qualification that no one and no animal could have ever fulfilled to become the perfect sacrifice. Next week, that will be our emphasis, looking at him as the perfect sacrifice. Today, we're just very focused on him being our intercessor. He felt everything and he feels everything. When we go through things and we buckle, Thinking that God has left us is because we don't have an understanding that he has passed through what we are going through, whatever it is, whatever it is. Whether it's a sickness, whether it's a challenge with our social life, whether it's something that the enemy wants to use to humiliate us, humiliate our marriage, humiliate our children, humiliate our spouses, whether it's something that the devil is trying to use to set us up and get us functioning in the, in the lust of the eyes, Whatever it is, he has gone through it. So when we fail, because we, we've come to a point where we feel that we have no strength in us, is because we have lost sight of our intercessor. We have lost sight of our perfect high priest who has gone through it and had remained without sin and so remains qualified to be prayed for, for to be praying for us. Esther had this kind of, a, a little bit of this understanding when he said, gather the people to me, gather all of them in Shushan and tell them to fast for me that I now want to go before the king. I want to do something daring, but I need you to intercede for me. I need you to pray for me. The intercession even of the saints does wonders today. How much more the intercession of Christ himself for you and I. You and I have no reason to worry. We have no reason. Every time we worry and live in anxiety, every time we live in fear, is because we have lost sight of our intercessor. We have lost sight that he's praying for us. Listen, friends, I know that some of you may be having challenges and say, but, but, but Pastor Dave, this is, is lingered for so long. I, I, I don't know how I'm going to come out of this. It could even be a financial issue. It could be anything. I want you to know that you have a perfect high priest who has gone ahead of you, who has passed through that very challenge, whatever it is called, whatever it is. He didn't sin by passing through it. He did not deny his father by passing through it. But today, what he's doing for you and I, he's saying, Lord, behold the one I died for. Behold the one I shed my blood for. Behold him now. Behold her now. As he's passing through this challenge, I stand and I ask that your mercy prevails. That is why he said, even the lawful captive shall be delivered. Can he deliver himself? No. It is the ultimate perfect sacrifice and the one who intercedes on the behalf of those that are diligently seeking him that is speaking. Christ is speaking for you and I at the right hand side of God the Father on a daily basis. He is always interceding for us. We have a faithful high priest. 
I've told you last Sunday, his faithfulness means he's trustworthy. His faithfulness means he's loyal to the cause. His faithfulness means he is reliable. As much as I love you and as much as I wish I can be there for you in everything you are passing through, God sees my heart. There is so much limitation on me. There is limitation on where I can be. There is limitation on what I can do. There is limitation on what I can give. Some of you have, have challenges that many times I wish I can just take something and address it at a go. That is the extent to which I feel it in myself. But I am a limited human being, just privileged to serve in this role. I am highly limited. So I cannot call myself reliable in the order of God. By the grace of God, I will not say I am unreliable in what I can do. But I, I hope you understand what I'm saying. I cannot call myself as being reliable in the class of God. This is why preachers need to understand, pastors, leaders of churches need to understand. We need to understand our basic function, what we are meant to do. No pastor, no church leader, no bishop is ever called to take the place of Christ. No human being can. No human being can. To win loyalty of people by making it sound as if you have all the solution is a lie from the pit of hell. Our world must be delivered from that lie. The work of those who lead the people of God is to keep pointing them to the perfect high priest. To keep pointing them to the perfect high priest. The one who said, come unto me, not come unto my pastors, not come unto my bishops, not come unto those that have spent 50 years in the faith, not come unto your fathers or come unto your mothers or come unto to, to your bosses and come unto your banks. He said, Come unto me. The work of the preachers and the work of every leader, every father, every mother, every church leader, everyone who is in a position of leadership whatsoever, our work is to keep pointing people to Christ. And we must understand that this is very important because he is the faithful high priest who was tempted at all points, yet he remained without sin. Verse 16. He said, therefore, let us come boldly. Let us come boldly. We have a faithful high priest. Let us come boldly. Because we are not arrogant, but we are bold. We are righteous. Proverbs 28 verse 1. He said, the wicked flees when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Why? Because the lion of the tribe of Judah, their faithful high priest, has cleansed them, has sanctified them, and has given them joint heirs with him. So they have access. Never let anyone tell you, you don't have access to God the Father. No. Never, never let anyone tell you that you don't have access. If you have access to Jesus, you have access to the Father. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except by me, John 14, 6. So rise up in your spirituality, always looking at yourself as valueless, always looking at yourself as faithless, always looking at yourself as, a, as, as somebody who is a nobody in this kingdom. Must stop because you are somebody. The blood of Jesus Christ was shed for you and I. I did not get a better quality of the blood than you had if you are born again. 
It was shared for me. It was shared for you. Now, please understand, I am not calling for disrespect of church leadership anywhere. I'm not calling for disrespect of parents and people who should guide us and do their work. That is not what I'm talking about. But I am saying that we must understand that there is a throne of grace that has been set up by this God. That the blood of Jesus has paid for everyone who accepts him as a faithful high priest to come boldly. To come boldly. If you are not wicked, you should be bold. If you are not unrighteous, you should be bold. That is why the devil is trying to pollute your holiness. To lose, make you lose your confidence. This is why you must reject sin. You must reject the things that the enemy can be using as bags and baggages to try to keep hindering you from going boldly. Many people cannot stand in their high offices and callings today because they have baggages. The devil keeps throwing baggages their way and they keep catching it. They catch, he, he throws them fornication, they catch it. He throws them pride, they catch it. He throws them hatred, they catch it. Malice, they catch it. Anger, they catch it. So when they want to pray and they go before the Lord and they say, Lord, I, I, I come, they, 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 are, they, they are dithering and they are confused and they, are, they, are, they, they don't have confidence because there is too much of the work of the devil. Sadly, things that God has delivered them from. If you want to be bold, he said the righteous are as bold as a lion. If you want to be bold, you make your work quality. Your work with God, quality. You choose your friends carefully. You choose the people you chat with carefully. As a person who tries to reach many people on social media, I open my world to as many people that want to be my friend. I don't have a problem with that. You can be my friend as long as you will follow the things I'm doing. Let's, why not? Get on. But if you join yourself to be my friend and I find that the things you are doing and the kind of chats you want to have with me are unholy, I give you a warning just to make you understand that, well, this is social media. You have a right to express yourself. But if I find that you are completely an antichrist who does not want to repent, I remove you carefully or I remove myself, whichever one goes first. <laughs> it's not by force. It's true. It's not by force. The Bible says evil communication corrupts good manners. When you fiddle with the things of this world, when you fiddle with sin, what it does is that it makes you not come boldly before your faithful high priest. He said, let us come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. The mercy of God is what keeps us. The mercy of God is what protects us from everything that should have killed us. Mercy is not getting the result that we should have got because of our foolishness. Mercy is not getting what we truly deserve. We know that grace is getting what we did not deserve. But mercy is not getting what we really should have deserved because the wages of sin is death. So when death is, is, is averted for us, it's the mercy of God. I said it at the beginning and I'll say it again. Anyone who is alive today, this is May the 17th, 2020. I don't know when you will ever hear this message. If you are still alive and Jesus has not come and you are hearing this message, just know that God preserved your life for a purpose and it is out of his mercy. In our world, at this point in time, hundreds of thousands of people have died globally. 
If you and I are still alive, we must not think it is something we know how to do. It mo- we must not think it is something we are clever about. It's not the face masks or the gloves we wear and all those things we think we've, we've done social distancing, we've, 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 uh, we've uh, self-isolated and all those things we, we, which are all very good and legitimate to do. But it's none of those things. Anyone who is alive today is alive by the mercy of God. He said, let us come boldly. Those of us who have named the name of the Lord, let us come boldly that we may obtain mercy. So our prayer, our intercession, when we go to the intercessor, the high priest, our faithful high priest, gives us more assurance of his mercy. He said that we may find grace to help us in time of need. For mercy, I have always quoted to you Micah 6, 8. He said, he has shown you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you than to do justly and to love mercy? Be somebody that loves mercy. Love saying, Lord, have mercy. It's not a sin, and don't make it a cliche that means nothing to you. Keep saying, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Love his mercy. Love his mercy. Because his mercies are new every morning. As you say, Lord, I thank you for this brand new day. Have mercy. Thank you, Lord. Your mercies are new every morning. And you continue to prevent yourself from getting things that would have been used by the enemy against you. He said that we may find grace to help us in time of need. Second Corinthians 9.8 tells us that God is able to make all grace abound towards us so that in all things at all times, having more than we need, we'll be able to abound unto every good work. Let us come boldly. The third thing I want to say, which is the third thing for us as believers is that we must live in obedience and develop maturity in him. We'll go back to Hebrews 5 now. We must live in obedience and develop maturity. Hebrews 5 verse 9. Obedience to what? Obedience to his instructions. Obedience to what? Obedience to his commands. We have been rescued by grace. We are people set free. We are no longer under the law. No doubt about that. But we must be obedient to the dictates of scripture. We must be obedient to the callings of God upon our lives. He said, having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. To all who obey him. He became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Verse 10. Called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. We see that name again. We'll talk more about Melchizedek later on in the, in the series to come. And then verse 12. He said, for though by this time, sorry, verse 11. Let's go back to 11. He said, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain. Since you have become dull of hearing. The writer was saying to the people that you guys have become complacent. You got born again. You left, the, 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 you left Judaism. And you say you are now Christians. But you have become dull of hearing. And I see this in the situation of many believers around the world today. Born again, fine. But we become dull of hearing for two reasons. One, complacency has set in. And then secondly, pride has also set in. Pride in thinking that we have known everything we need to know. After all, if you receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you have eternal salvation guaranteed. So we are no longer learning. And we are not growing. He said you have become dull of hearing. 
or we just become complacent. We're just happy to take it easy. We're just happy to go with the flow. It's all right. Not too much. These people who are doing it in a, in a fiery way and wanting to grow are, 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 are overzealous. I just like to play it cool. <laughs> he said such people become dull of hearing. And you know the problem? Verse 12. The problem is that such people, verse 12, for such people, he said, by this time, they ought to be teachers. They ought to be preachers. They ought to be pastors. They ought to be helping the work the more. All over the world, sat down complacent when there is so much more work to do. He said, but instead of them being able to be teachers, they also need people to teach them again the first principles of the oracles of God. And then you have come to need milk and not solid food. You have come to need milk, what we give to babies. We can't give you solid food because you are not growing. We can't give you solid food because you are not maturing. May God not make our stories like that. In the name of Jesus. We need to understand that we need to grow. We need to obey every instruction of scripture and grow. Verse 13, we need to grow. Verse 13 says, for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled. If you stay at the babyish things, you remain unskilled. In the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Verse 13, verse 13. Hallelujah, verse 13. Say, for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness for his babe. Verse 14 now. But solid food belongs to those who are full of age. That is those who by reason of use have their senses exercised. Those who have trained themselves. They are the ones that can discern between good and evil. They are the ones that can be teachers of others. In my profession, those days, things have changed a little. Those days, I mean, when I graduated, when you graduate, you are called a pupil engineer. Why? Because you have learned the first principles, but you have no experience, practically. So you serve under a qualified engineer for a minimum period of four years. And within those four years, the person takes you through what they have been through. They take you through practical things that they will tell you, you don't do it this way. The book says this should be right, but I know by practicing that this other option is better. And they teach you how to design, how to, how to inspect. They teach you how to write reports, even how to communicate. They teach you everything. And then after that time, you go and sit for an exam by yourself and become what we call a chartered engineer. Now, there are many ways to eat now, so it's a bit different, but it's the same process whereby you are taken through a school of learning and moving from being pupil, coming to full age. Because in, in that profession, once you become chartered, what it means is that anything you say could or may or may not be checked before it is implemented may or may not be checked. So if you design a building or you design a bridge, it may or may not be checked by anybody else because they have assumed that because you have that title, you can now take responsibilities carefully, take decisions carefully. This is how the body of Christ is having too many pupils 
Too many people refusing to come to take responsibility, not understanding that we are denying the work of our faithful high priest who has gone ahead of us, interceding for us, and saying, come on, you can grow. Come on, you can develop into things. We need more people in the body of Christ today who will say, Pastor, give me this mountain, like, like, like Caleb did for Joshua. Give me this mountain. We need more people in the body of Christ that will come to, to church leaders and say, Pastor, you know what? We have been talking about evangelizing this part of town for so long. Give me that place. I want to go there every Saturday morning. I, will, I don't have to wait for brethren. I will be there by myself and just talking to the people I meet on the street. We need more people who can say, I want to disciple young women, young men in the church, those who have been married just for five years. Give them to me. Any one of them having problem, let them come to me. Let me sit with them because I have gone through reason of full of age. I have been tried. I have been tested. And by the grace of God and working with my faithful high priest, I can help others also. This is what will cause the body of Christ to grow. We need to understand that this is something we must do. We must live in the obedience of this and continue to be mature. I'd like to conclude this message today. By just simply reminding us that God rewards. God rewards. Every individual faithfulness we demonstrate, God rewards. So we must keep striving to overcome discouragement. Don't give up your Christian race because of what you are facing now. Everyone, even Christ was tempted at all points, but yet he became without sin. Many people give up at the faces of the things that discourage them. Hebrews chapter 6 from verse 9. He said, but beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation. Though we speak in this manner, we are confident. Verse 10. Say, for God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown, shown towards his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and you do minister. James 1, 2 tells us the trials of our faith is working out patience. Count it all joy. Keep going, be joyful, be cheerful. God is not unjust. He will take care of the matters that concern you. He will take care of your home. He will take care of your job. He will take care of your marriage. He will take care of everything that concerns you. He is not unjust. He won't forget your work. Keep working. Keep working. From time to time, believers drop in between working hard and, and trying by ourselves and relying on God on one hand and then trying a little bit and relying on God and trying a little bit. He said, just come and rely on me completely. Does that mean you will not do your work? Does that mean you will not study? No. It means that you will do everything in the context of total reliance on him because God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love. I submit to you humbly, friends, that by the grace of God, I reap consistently blessings and rewards for everything I've been doing in the past 30, 40 years as a child, right through to my youth age and right through to today. By the grace of God, I keep seeing rewards. I see things in my life that I know that are just simply the rewards of God. Things I did not work for, but that are working for me. Things I did not work for, but are happening for me. I say it to you so that you can be encouraged. God is not unjust. God is not unjust. Church service, kingdom service, love for God are not gimmicks. These are avenues to keep demonstrating our faith and to keep laboring and working for the kingdom so that the one that rewards those that diligently seek him will always reward. We need to be confident in this. I have never taken any aspect of church work with levity. Never. Never. 
If I was given a task to pray, I prayed as if that's the last assignment I would do on this earth. When I was given a task to teach or preach in churches that I was not pastor, not even leader, those days, I would do it as if it was the last assignment I would do. I wonder where I would have been today if I was treating those things with levity. I wonder where I would have found the strength to occupy this office that God has, has by his own grace, called me to serve in today. I wonder where I would have been. It was impossible. When you, people say, oh, when, Lord, when I, when I move to this level, I will do this for you. No, you do it now. Because he needs to prepare you now. Get you to use the things now. And exercise now. And discern now. Between good and evil now. So that when you get to that other level, you are trained. We need to understand, verse 11. He said, and we desire that each one of you, verse 11, each one of you, we desire that you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope to the end. Keep showing it to the end. Don't give up. Keep showing it to the end. Don't give up. Verse 12. Wherever you are, you can still mute your mics, but read verse 12 with me. That you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Keep imitating those that have gone ahead of us. Friends, there are two categories of people to imitate. One, we see them all around us today. Fellow believers that have gone ahead of us, physically speaking. They've been on the race much more. What should we imitate? We look at their lives because their lives is there to see. You look at things that they're doing well. You look at how they're running. You look at things that they're not doing well. And you don't repeat those things. But look at the things they're doing well and be encouraged by it. Now, there are those that have gone. The Elijahs, the David, the Peter, all those that have gone ahead of us and are clapping for us as we, we will read about them later on as a cloud of witnesses. We look at their lives also. You all know that I am so particular about King David, the man I was named after. I like him so much. I like his story. But we all know that David's life was not 100% perfect, physically speaking. But you can't deny his love for God. Impossible. You can't deny his zeal for the things of God. Impossible. You can't deny his wisdom, his wittiness, his creativity. You can't. So I plug myself. I follow. I imitate. As I saw him put a zeal for God, not wanting the things of God to fall to the ground, I put myself in the same shoes. But ultimately, you know what? We have one author and finisher of our faith. His name is Jesus Christ, our intercessor. The Bible says we keep looking unto him because he's the author and the finisher of our faith. Whatever you do, keep looking unto him. I believe when Stephen looked up and Jesus stood up and did his hands like this, Stephen said, into your hands, into my hands, I commit you. If Jesus has done like this to Stephen and said, wait more, Stephen would have said, guys, <laughs> I saw him. He said, I should continue. <laughs> Hallelujah. He's right there every day. The way he stood up for Stephen, he's standing up for you and I. The way he stood up to cheer Stephen as a martyr and as one who pleaded for his cause right to the very, very last minute of his life. He's standing for you and I. And he will stand to the very last minute of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you today. We are grateful for the privilege to hear your word one more time. We recognize that we are living in perilous times, but Lord Jesus, you died so that we can have life and have it more abundant.